and welcome to the Enrich Life podcast. This is the Enrich Life weekly teaching for June 23rd. Uh, Enrich Life is a faith community that serves the Regina area and operates a student club at the University of Regina. And this week's teaching will be accessible anywhere you access your podcasts as well as YouTube. So at Enrich Life, we believe that we are called to feed the hungry and to serve and minister to our neighbors. So this week, Enriched Life will be handing out food in the city to anyone who could use a bite to eat or some nutritional support. The pandemic has hurt many people and communities financially, and that means having difficulty with food security. Enriched Life is dedicated to loving our neighbors, and that's why we are serving the community every month. This week's teaching will be continuing through the book of John, and we will be looking extra closely at the wording and the translating that's done in chapter 1, verses 14 to 18, and trying to explain what these verses are saying and what the words mean in that context. So if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. Uh, this is chapter 1 of John, verses 14 to 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him, or he has made him known. So yeah, I'm going to be diving really deep into these verses because they require that. It requires a thorough ex examination, and that's just fundamental for having a healthy understanding of what this book is telling us about God. So verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I accentuated the word word and the word begotten because those are the two words we're going to be looking at here. So first of all, word. The English word word is really, really insufficient uh, for translating all of the nuances and connotations that the Greek word has. So the Greek word that's used here is called logos. Logos is a concept that doesn't exist as a single word in English. It's more of a phrase or it has to be an explanation uh, that's summed up. So according to, to Britannica.com, which was written by the editors of the Encyclopedia Britannica, it says logos, Greek, word, reason, or plan. It says that in ancient Greek philosophy and early Christian theology, it referred to divine reason that was implicit in the cosmos. The thing that was giving the universe form, meaning, and order. So Greek philosophers used the word logos to refer to the purpose or the true order and reality of all of existence in the heavens and on earth. Britannica.com continues to say, 
interesting that Christian writings use logos to explain the role of Jesus Christ as the essential characteristic of God who is active in creation and maintaining and sustaining the cosmos and in revealing the divine plan of salvation to human beings. It goes on to say, the idea of the logos in Greek thought harks back to at least the 6th century BC with the philosopher Heraclitus, who discerned in the cosmic process a logos analogous to the reasoning power in humans. So he saw that the order in the universe mimicked the order that humans create. And then later Stoic philosophers defined the logos as an active rational and spiritual principle that permeated all of reality. They called the logos providence, they called it nature, they called it God, or the soul of the universe. And that whole bit there is coming from Britain.com. So they saw the order of creation and referred to it as nature or God. And the word for that, that order that existed throughout the universe is logos. It's a force that maintains all creation. Further on on Britannica.com, it talks about how uh, later Jewish philosophers in the first century AD taught about how the logos was an intermediary between God and the cosmos. Uh, and then later Platonists, who are philosophers who interpreted the teachings of Plato in more religious terms, they taught that logos was imminent that means it exists and operates within or is inherent inherent or intrinsic or fundamental that's imminent i-m-m-a-n-e-n-t um, not imminent with an i and that that is saying that the logos operates within the universe, it sustains the universe, it permanently pervades the universe. Um, and it also is a transcendent divine mind. So then you come to the English translation and it says word. So it's just that translation using the word word isn't doesn't give you the full picture of what what it's saying when it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So what John is doing is he's saying that Jesus is the word. It's saying Jesus is the logos and the logos was with God and the logos was God. And the Logos, later on it says, became flesh, and that's talking about Jesus. So to understand what it means that Jesus is the Logos, you have to look back at that earlier Greek philosophical thought and uh, how the author of the Gospel of John would have been meaning. Uh, if we look in Colossians 1.15, we see, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So this in Colossians, it's really talking about logos, right? It's talking about how it is the order that creates all things and that logos is Jesus. 
and Jesus is God. Further on, if we look in John 1 at the beginning, John 1, 3, all things came into being through him and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Um, and then in Hebrews 1, 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So all of these verses make way more sense when you realize what it's saying when it says Jesus is the word. It's saying that Jesus is the creator, really, and that the creator is God and Jesus is God. The next part of the verse that I wanted to focus on was the word begotten. Uh, so going back to the verse, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. So the word begotten comes from the Greek word monogenes here. So monogenes means unique or only or only begotten that's how it's translated into english so remember that unique only only begotten uh and so when i was younger whenever i heard the word begotten i kind of thought of john three sixteen, which i was taught in the king james version and it said for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and i thought to myself yep that sounds like the king james version because i didn't really understand what it meant and because it was very old-fashioned um, and then that made me think of long lists like adam begat seth and seth begat enosh and enosh begat etc and i thought why why is it using this old word why doesn't it just say the one and only son that's not some other translations. And I actually like to use the word begotten now because I know what it means. It's used for the specific meaning of begetting is, in English normally it just means to create life or to father young, as it does for like Adam begetting Seth and Seth begetting Enosh. Um, but that's not the only translation of the word. Remember, this is a word coming to us from an ancient language, monogenes, which comes from ancient Greek. And so it doesn't have a perfect word-for-word -word translation. So it's not just the word beget. It means more than that. So when humans beget, we bear offspring or children that are born in our image. But when we say that Jesus is begotten of God, it means that he shares the same divine nature with God. So while begetting for humans means creating offspring, begetting also can mean sharing the same unique essence. So Jesus shares the same unique essence of God because he is God. And that's why we say that Jesus is the only begotten of God. And this becomes a really important distinction because that is where there have been a division of believers, where there are believers that believe that Jesus is God, and then there are those who doubt that Jesus is God. And there was a council called the Council of Nicaea, which is where we get the Nicene Creed from, and that's where the church 
came back to these verses, all of the verses throughout the Bible that point to Jesus being God, and they include that in their creed, their belief, um, their written belief record. The teaching that Jesus is God and is the Son of God is declared throughout the entire New Testament, and it's the fulfillment of biblical prophecy in the Old Testament, which I'll be talking a little bit more about next week. Um, but for the Nicene Creed, it says, we believe uh, and then in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. So that's just really, really clearly stating that Jesus the Son is God the Son, and that God is from God and true God from true God, that he was begotten, that means sharing the same image of God, that he was never created. And so we have to look in, into the scriptures. Does this creed line up with what the scriptures say about Jesus? So the author of John tells us, and the Nicene Creed, confesses that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God and that he has existed in eternity past. He was never created or made, since that would mean that he had a beginning. And since he is the creator, he is outside of time and he could not himself be created. So the Son existed in the beginning with God and being God, just as John 1.1 says, he created all things in heaven and on earth. That means he created all the angels, he created all the planets, um, and, and the earth, and all of us. So that's the verse 14. We're going to continue on to verse 15 now. Verse 15 says, John testified about him and called out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who is coming after me has proved to be my superior, because he existed before me. So again, John the baptizer, or John the Baptist, came to prepare the way of the Lord, as was prophesied in Malachi and in Isaiah. And you can look in Mark 1, verses 1 to 9, uh, for a little bit of background on that. Uh, when John says he existed before me, he's saying that Jesus is the eternal one, because from Luke, it looks like that John the Baptist would have been born before Jesus because Elizabeth was already six months pregnant or when the angel of the Lord uh, appeared to Mary and told her that she was going to be pregnant. So for John, who's John the Baptist, to be older than Jesus and to say that he has existed before me, it's pointing to the, the fact that Jesus is the eternal one. Uh, continuing on in verses 16 and 17, for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So that's saying that where the law was given to us through Moses, grace and truth were fully realized and completed through Jesus Christ. And from his fullness, we receive grace after grace after grace. Uh, this verse is translated in the NIV as saying, Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So 
This verse is saying that the law was incomplete before Jesus came. The law was completed and fulfilled by Jesus on our behalf. And other scriptures actually agree with this statement when it says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. Or when Jesus said, do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So again, that's saying Jesus is fulfilling and completing the law. And also in the verse, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So all of these verses come into clarity when we realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And finally, we come to verse 18. So verse 18 says, No one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, He has explained Him, or He has made Him known. So no one saw God in His fullness, in His full glory face to face, until the one and only God Himself revealed Himself and made Himself known. In Colossians, it says about Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. And Jesus clarifies, he says, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. So there we have it. Verse 18 reveals to us that, that God had to re reveal himself to us through himself, through Jesus. And this might be causing more questions in your mind, like how can Jesus be the Son of God and be God himself? And why is that important? And how can we know that that can be true? So next week, we're going to continue on focusing in on Jesus as God. Look forward to that. I'll be next Wednesday in person. Looking forward to see you there. Bye for now.